Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 88. We're your hosts, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. So what's up with you guys? What's going on? Tell us all the deets. It's finally cool, guys. Everybody out in, in listening, <laughs> we got a little bit of sprinkles today, so I'm very excited. Yes. Yeah. That's my most uh, favorite time of year is fall, and Halloween is coming, and so I am planning uh, what we are going to do for Halloween, because it is my husband and I's... Um, wedding anniversary yeah and so usually we go to disneyland but womp womp no disneyland (laughs) this year um no no disneyland this year but we have um tentative plans to maybe do a hike i'm not sure because it entails getting up at 5 45 in the morning and eddie is not about that um but Regardless if we do that or we don't, I'm going to order a cheese platter. Um, he's not feeling well. So we had a Halloween beer festival that we were supposed to do virtually yesterday, but we didn't get to because it wasn't feeling well. So we're planning on doing it on actual Halloween. And then we are going to um, eat our cheese platter. We're going to drink beer. And then after we do the festival, we're going to start binge watching The Mandalorian. Wow, oh, that's right. <laughs> Super excited for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That so. actually sounds like heaven. That's really awesome. Oh my mm. God, cheese platter. I know. I see those pictures and I'm like, one day I will have a cheese platter of my own. <laughs> uh, I believe I gave uh, Kristen a, yes. like, yeah, uh, a charcuterie like plate to like decorate it because it was a gift that I bought for Eddie's birthday like a long time ago, but I kept forgetting to bring it to the oh, store with me. Uh, okay. And until finally, like on the last day that we saw each other, I remembered it and I was just like, okay, if I don't bring it with me now, I'm never gonna, <laughs> I'm never gonna give it to him. Uh, and so uh, I sent, I sent that off. I remember yeah, it was I, so I, like, cool. Remembered. Yeah. So I'm, glad that you're gonna get some use out of it (laughs) yes we're gonna get some use out of it next week I can't believe like my my life is flashing before my eyes of how quickly freaking October went honestly I'm still in September (laughs) physically I'm in October mentally I'm in September of last year (laughs) of last year (laughs) uh no yeah it's it's been super tiring i talked to i talked with Kristen about this uh earlier uh but also i think i mentioned it uh last episode about how i was planning on going back to school but uh apparently there's some technical problems with my transcript and uh it looks like i won't be attending csu this upcoming spring uh, I will be going back to community college to fix whatever is wrong with my transcript because it's, they told me it was just a technical issue and I was missing like one class or something, mm-hmm. but, and that my uh, transcript wasn't for transfer, which I call bullshit on because I 
transferred to UCLA with it. So yeah. <laughs> I so don't weird. know what's going on with that. But I will be going back to school, just not to a CSU like I thought I was. It's just yeah. it's back to good old community college. But it's going to be an experience because it's going to be online. And it seems that most schools in the foreseeable future are still going to be right. online. Then yeah. I fully expect it to still be online uh, starting for fall of next, mm-hmm. of next year, too. So it's going to be uh, interesting, to say the least. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you have a little detour, but I'm happy to know that you are still on your journey. So um, mm-hmm. I hope that uh, your second go around at uh, El Camino <laughs> is, is as successful as your first. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I graduated with my associate's degree. I had, uh, I graduated with honors which Mm -hmm. I was not aiming for but apparently I got (laughs) Uh, and I just and I had fun I made friends while I was there so uh, it's uh, some people that I still talk to today so yeah I I liked my experience at El Camino it's just going to be different because it's just going to be online but I don't think it's going to be that different yeah yeah I just I'm 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 disappointed that this happened to you but you are handling it so well Um, oh yeah I mean like uh, this is this isn't my first go around with technical issues. I was uh, actually supposed to go to UC Santa Cruz uh, when I first graduated high school, uh, but there was an issue uh, again with my high school transcripts uh, about uh, a class in the fall semester and not the spring semester. A class which I made up for and I got an A in, but they told me no. They rescinded their acceptance. Uh, like my acceptance letter and said that I was no longer uh, uh, admitted into the school. So it's just like, uh, I was like, okay, fine. Like uh, bite me in the ass uh, <laughs> that time. So like, I've just, I've had experience with this. So I'm not, it's it, now it's annoying. It's not devastating as yeah. it was the first time around. Uh, so there's something to be said for experience. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that you're so positive about this and you're just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to continue on and carry on and it's not going to stop me. And I love that. I love that you're handling mm-hmm. it that way. And yeah, yeah. Like you said it's going to be totally different because it's online classes. So even the fall semester would have been online classes for you. So I'm, I'm so glad you're looking at the bright side of things. <laughs> Thanks. How about you, Sarah? What do you have going on these days? Well, um, I'm looking forward to the other little Muertos altar. I've got oh, yeah. Little, yeah. some people have uh, trusted me with the pictures of their loved ones. So I'm going to include newer participants. I found my box because sometimes what happens is like I get so um, overwhelmed that I start looking for things. And I'm just like, last year I made sure I put them all in one box, but then it was like, all my boxes look the same. So I'm like, which is the, which box? <laughs> so last, so yesterday I made sure that I found the box so that now it's just waiting for me to start it. I'm going to put it up on October 28th uh, just because that, what, that altar is set, th- that day to set up the altar set for people who died in accidents. And my oh, mom I did died not know that. Yeah, there's, oh, wow. there's also the day of the kids. Okay, uh, yeah. Leading up to the 2nd of November. So. Uh-huh. So there's that. Um, my aunt who swung by yesterday and brought me pan de muerto that she baked Ooh, so nice. for, for la ofrenda. And uh-huh. she got también guayabas too from the tree. Uh, because one of the scents that's really um, familiar of the altars is like the marigolds and the guayabas mm-hmm. and some incense. So um, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I, I, like, I think this is the first year that I'm like actually 
prepping up to the event instead of scrambling to find everything and adding it throughout the month. (laughs) 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 Now I have all the stuff and I just have to put it together. So uh, I even Mm -hmm. clean up the area where I'm going to set it up in. So like, I I feel like I'm really um, growing in that sense where I'm learning to anticipate certain things that I want to do. And um, that way I'm not, I'm not adding the flowers three days later or the candles five days later. Like it's all just ready to go now. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your pictures of your altars are always so very nice. <laughs> oh, I you. actually, um, um, I convinced my mom that we should build an altar this year for my grandfather and um, oh. uh, for my dad's grand, um, uh, well, his parents, my grandparents mm-hmm. uh, on his side of the family, because oh, I'm familiar with altars and like I like uh like and i've seen them and i've like made offerings and stuff like that we've never actually had a proper altar here at home because well no one close to us had died and um uh, we didn't uh basically like my parent my mom's parents were still alive and she Mm -hmm. thought it would be and she didn't have any pictures of her grandparents and like her uh anybody there and basically as far as she knew everyone that she knew in guatemala was still alive uh unfortunately because of COVID-19 some of my friends uh my parents friends have passed away uh including a woman that I uh was very close to who I saw as an aunt she passed away earlier this year um uh, due to COVID-19 so I also wanted to put um a picture of her up um uh, because I knew this woman all my life uh Mm -hmm. I honestly I still expect to see her uh sometimes or to hear her uh Mm -hmm. and she's not so I was I I was like we've lost a lot of people this year. So I think an altar is fitting, uh, especially this time around. Oh, right. well, I can't wait to see yours either. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. definitely, definitely. Um, I also uh, my cousin was is visiting here from Pennsylvania, and one of the things she wanted to do was go to a craft beer liquor store. And so I set up plans to go. Are today. you sure she wanted to do that? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's actually the one who took me to uh, Lancaster and uh, took me to the breweries. And oh, like cool. That. Yeah. So um, she wanted to bring back some beer for her fiance. But uh, one of the one of the places I wanted to take it was 310 because they have a lot of variety. And I yeah. actually saw they posted some really great pictures on Friday. But on Saturday night somebody uh under the influence ran into the Kobe mural which <gasps> a huge big oh, hole no. on the side of the liquor store on 310 oh my gosh and, and ruined uh, the mural yes ruined the mural um and also that that side of the wall was where they kept like you know behind the counter yes like yes. old uh beers and stuff like they uh-huh. had old bottles of uh, delirium tremens and stuff like that like all these amazing beers and all yeah. of those are gone because of the crash wow. yeah fortunately on the other side was where the coolers are and one of the things they they've gotten a lot of support online especially since they posted on inter- instagram and on facebook uh, one of the followers of 310 actually sent me a picture because I had posted see you Sunday on the post on Friday. And then I woke up today to find a picture responding to my see you Sunday with the picture of the car, car crash into the mural. Oh and I'm my like, gosh. I'm like, oh no. I'm and like, I was, 
I was there when they were um, actually in the process of creating the mural and the artist was outside and drawing it or whatever. And I was eavesdropping on a conversation that I guess he's the owner was having with just customers about the fact that he he invested a crap ton of money in that mural. He said it cost him a pretty penny because, and he was a huge Lakers fan, a huge Kobe's fan, and it was worth every penny to him. But I remember being there and hearing him talk about that. So that must be devastating for him. I mean, not to mention the fact that there's a big freaking hole in the, in the side of your business. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, um, one of the things is like, they are the go-to for like all these like uh, people of color um, breweries. Mm-hmm. out there so mm-hmm. like I expect to find those brews there and I'm that's my go-to place and now that's on pause because of this of what happened so they first initially said they were closing the liquor store for repairs but because I guess all the overwhelming support and I think maybe some people had suggested certain things they are willing to do they're trying to figure out how to do a drive uh, drive-in type of pick up your brew um, oh, okay. that you might order so mm-hmm. Um, I think they had said that they have some caution tape up and that if you're patient enough, they can serve, uh, uh, help you purchase your beer. Just, you know, they're still in the trial and error stage yeah. because it yeah. just happened on, on Saturday. So, so yeah, there's that. So um, if maybe you're thinking about buying some craft uh, beer, maybe swing on by 310 uh, with your patience in hand and support the uh, liquor store because right now they're going to go through a lot of financial hardships because they're going to have to rebuild. Yeah. And just to remind everybody, 310 is located in the South Bay area of Los Angeles in a town called Torrance. So in case (laughs) you don't know, um, that's where it is. If you have friends that live here and you don't definitely encourage them to go and uh, support small businesses and definitely businesses uh, that are owned by people of color. Absolutely. 100%. Speaking of beer, guys, what time? <laughs> what time is it, Kristen? What time is it? Es la hora de la cervecita, and today it actually Ooh. is a little cervecita. It's a little can. <laughs> it's a little eight point five fluid ounce can of Rodenbach fruitage, and it's like a it's like a Red, Red Bull can, kind of that size. Um, and uh, it is. Um, a red ripened, refreshing 9% red fruit. Uh, it is crafted and brewed in Belgium and a little description. It says Rodenbach fruitage is a blend of aged beer. Um, it's aged two years in oak fodders, which, uh, is a Belgian word for standing oak cask. Um, so it's a blend of that age beer, young beer, and 9% red fruit. The Rodenbach signature taste balanced with sweet sourness and fruity notes. And so um, I'm actually reading that. It made my mouth water. So it says it's flavored red ale with fruit juice and natural flavors added. It contains barley malt and uh, 9% red fruits, which include cherry juice and elderberry juice. So uh, it actually, that sounds really good. I'm interested to try it. Yeah, it has an ABV of 4.2%. And it's light and refreshing, perfect for easy drinking and to be enjoyed year round. So I find it interesting that it was 
actually brewed in Belgium when I uh, I didn't know that till right now I was reading the can. Oh, oh yeah, um, yeah. Rodenbach is one of the favorite, uh, one of the favorite, one of the famous uh, breweries. Like uh, I would not Delirium Tremens. It's called something else. It's called. I know. Everyone calls it that, but it's not that. I remember we had this conversation a long time. <laughs> so um, the one with the elephant. <laughs> the one with the pink elephant. Yeah. Pink elephant. And this comes in a four pack. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny can. Mm-hmm. And this is the color of the beer itself. Ooh, it's it like a, a, so good. I haven't tasted so, it yet, but when you open it, the aroma just fills your nose. Absolutely. It's very, very full. Yeah. It, it almost, and I'm not trying to be a weirdo here, but it almost smells like like a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit. So... Um, you guys try it out. Try it out. Sip on mm. it. It's pretty good. It is a little sour, but not not like a yeah. sour. It's not overwhelmingly sour. It smells like it would be sweet, but it's not. Yes. There's, there's a little bitterness it to like it. It was going to be a lot sweeter than it is. Yes. Yeah. I was okay. expecting sweetness, actually. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, I wanted you guys to taste it before I actually presented the next fact dun, dun, dun. i know what, what is it made out of like body parts <laughs> actually no but... uh the only only beer on the podcast that has gotten a flaccid was by rodenbach do you guys remember oh no oh. <laughs> what was it the chocolate strawberry one or something no no that that was uh, no. that was the no, other the, one, the really sour one that we just that we that got, we um uh, drank the chocolate stout or the whatever it was uh, in substitute of because we took one sip of that other one <laughs> and were so grossed out by it that we switched to another beer. Oh, I don't remember that, but I remember oh, yeah. us giving mm-hmm. a flaccid. <laughs> yeah, I I actually remember where I purchased it. It was right beside a ninety nine cent store on Western and 182nd. And I thought that the beer had gone bad, but you reading, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, like uh, Rodenbach is actually known for its sour. So I'm thinking maybe we just, oh. it was so new in the podcast that we hadn't developed yeah. a, a palate mm. for such a beer, but yeah. it, I mean, it was so bad. I had my brother taste it and tell me like, do you think this has gone bad? Because I think it did. And then Chris, <laughs> I, I know, Kristen, you were like, take it back and get your money back. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we thought it was a bet. And even, yeah, no, you had your brother drink it. And uh, and he said, like, yeah, no, this is bad. It was just, yeah. it, it either was, like, a bad batch or we just, all of us were just not suited for that level yeah. of sour beer. Um, um, Eddie actually likes sour just, beers and he can appreciate it, but... For me, uh, who is an uh, uh, ale IPA drinker, to go from that to sour is just such a huge difference and such a huge change that I cannot appreciate them. Maybe one day, but right now I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I was, actually uh, like this one, though. Yeah, no, this yeah, really this is good. delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it's uh, sort of deceiving because the actual... Uh, smell of it once you open it is so 
it just overfills your nostrils like it's mm -hmm. overwhelmingly it's it smells like it's going to be sweet like i said it has a resemblance to jolly rancher smell uh but when you actually taste it it's bitter and sour mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not it smells like the fake champagne that you get at <laughs> <laughs> very true very true That's but it actually and it, in the uh, you would think from the smell that it would be a lot of of a brighter red but it's actually oh, sort of no. like a brownish wow, red mm -hmm. sort of like a brown it looks red. like it looks like uh like darker apple juice yeah. yes yeah it definitely has a hint of like yellowish ambers in it and uh in a hint of red so it's a uh, it's it's an interesting beer uh and it comes in such a small can i i i'm not sure what the purpose of it is that it's in a small can Maybe you could only really drink one can per sitting. Who Possibly. Knows? Maybe it's like serving size for a beer share. I don't know. But I really Maybe. like it. I really like it. I mean, I think personally for me that this this level of can and the level of sour, sour that it is, because it's like, it's not unpleasant, but I think I can only handle this level of size can for it. Because while I do generally <laughs> enjoy it, Like, um, I'm really tasting the sour of it now. Yeah. And I'm not having a good time. It still tastes good. <laughs> I'm still going to drink it. But it's just, there's something about sour beers that just really remind me of bile. That, and that's why I don't really like them. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm so used to my beer tasting like beer, like hops and barley and just all of that aftertaste flavor and the sour just throws me off so much. And don't get me wrong. Like things like sweet tarts or, uh, what are those ones, those candies where they have the commercials, like first it's sweet and then it's sour or first it's first it's sour. Then Lemon it's heads. Um, no, but there's a commercial where it's like the, the little, um, patch kids where they do something mean oh. and hug you. <laughs> <laughs> like warheads the, the i love warheads oh like, warheads, so yeah. i love sour candy but in my beer it just really throws me off yeah like i like sour candy too and like the sour candy i have no problem with it yeah. doesn't it's sour but it's not that like bile sour yeah that i get from these beers there's something in the process of making uh these sour beers that is just I don't know what it is. Like I, I've had a few like uh, sour beers. I believe there was one that we drank that was sour that I actually really liked, but that was because it tasted more sweet to me than sour, mm. or it had that sour, that sweet sour taste that reminded me a lot of candy. Yeah. So I, I liked it, uh, and I like this one too. But I think I can only handle this level of can. If I yeah. was like. If someone gave me another one, I'd be like, oh, no, please, you can you can drink it for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 echoing from what Jen is saying is I think this can is the perfect serving size for this. I think that if it came in a bottle, uh, it would have to be like a large group beer share because I don't think I could drink the whole bottle by myself. Yeah. And mm -hmm. honestly, for 4.2%, not even worth it. <laughs> <laughs> like if it was a nine or something okay i'll suffer but 4.2 no because i would yeah. only have to drink more than one 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely uh I have to be part of like a multiple beer drinking kind of session. It's not I, I'm laughing because like for for some like connoisseurs, they'd be like, Oh, my palate and oh blah blah. And we're like, okay, it's four point two. You ain't gonna get that drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I drink craft beer for the taste, yes, but yeah. also I wanna get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's beer for God's sakes. You gotta get a buzz. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mild buzz. Something. Anything. Come on. <laughs> this is barely this is barely a love tap. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm. All right. Well, I, I actually got this four pack at uh Torrance Craft Beer Cellar. They sell it in the little four pack. Uh it's it's a cute little packaging. It's re- it's a red can with a white label. Uh I, I'm ready to rate it. Okay. So to remind everybody our rating system, it is a five point rating system with one being flaccid, two being initial, three being partial, four out of five full, and five out of five rigid. And if it is an amazing, oh my God, we can't live without it. We have to drink it every single day of our lives. Then that is Super Saiyan six out of five. So Sarah, what are you going to give this beer? Rodenbach fruitage. Um, I think that if I had, was at a beer share, this would be the first beer we should try just to start off our like tingling in our palate. Uh, but this is definitely an initial for me. It's, it's, uh, it's full of, of flavor and smell, but it's not necessarily a flavor smell that I could withstand for more than just one can at a time. Yeah, one tiny little can. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is Kristen, and I am going to agree with Sarah that I'm going to give it an initial. Um, I wanted the first drink actually was pretty uh, enjoyable and I could taste the fruit, but the sourness really just took over. And I think that if you're a sour lover and you are used to sour beers, that you probably are going to love this. But for me um, personally, uh, I am not a drinker or lover <laughs> of sour beer so a uh, an, an initial rating for uh, Rodenbach fruitage is good enough for me how about you Jen well I was gonna give it more credit I was gonna give it a partial but after listening to you too I think I'm gonna uh stand firm and also give it an initial because it's Again, it's that sour. Like the first drink was really nice. Mm-hmm. You can taste like the apple crispness. It wasn't super sweet, and the sour wasn't immediately noticeable. But once by the second or third drink, I can't taste the apple anymore. All I taste is sour, and I, I'm, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll finish it. But yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's sour. I uh, handed mine off already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like no, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish mine. It's um. um it definitely has that, it gives my mouth that tingly feel, but not in a fun way. I do not like. <laughs> I was going to say, sours. I have a lot more funner ways that uh, do that. Yeah, I do have a lot more fun ways. <laughs> I can't do them right now because of COVID, but I have more fun ways. <laughs> All right. So it looks like we are unanimous across the board. A two out of five for Rodenbach fruitage. All right, guys, it's time for time for Chisme de la Semana. And I know, Kristen, you had some Chisme for us today. 
Yes, I do. Uh, This is actually some like real cheese that um, was like part of a story that came out this last week. And then everybody was thinking, oh, one way. And then more cheese came out was like, no, it's actually this way. So for those of you who may or may not know, I am um, part owner of Heidi Hill Comics in Santa Monica. So I do have some um, kind of behind the scenes information of the comic book industry from the retailer perspective. And um, in the past, we have talked about how DC left the um, the comics, the industry's biggest distributor, the comic industry's only distributor, Diamond Comics, um, during lockdown in July, I believe it was. Um, and they took their business and they separated um, it between two other distributors, UCS, which actually was Midtown Comics, which um, I think we talked about the cheese behind that, um, that you can hear on some past episodes, um, and uh, Lunar, which was like the West Coast distributor. And so this last week, uh, it came out that DC and UCS, which was Midtown Comics, was separating ways they were parting ways they were severing their business relationship and so most people who heard this information uh read the story uh automatically assumed that it was diamond who let go of ucs um that you know somehow i don't know they weren't doing a good job they fired them they found that you know it wasn't working whatever no what happened was during um the end of the week, more and more information started coming out that it turns out that it was UCS slash Midtown that was like, nope, uh, we know this isn't doing it for us. We're not, um, I don't know if the like real actual um, reasons behind it, but it's basically being surmised that they're like, yeah, you're not making us enough money. It's not worth this uh, hardship for us. Um, and they have uh, basically cut ties with DC. So one of the big um, things that DC really reiterated when they made this move from Diamond was that, hey, you know, uh, Diamond is a monopoly and we are changing that. We're, you know, taking from Diamond and we're giving it to two distributors. And so there's no longer going to be a monopoly and you have choices. Well, turns out now they are once again in a monopoly. And uh, so Lunar has is picking up all of UCS slash Midtown's um, uh, comic retailer store, um, what do you call it? All the people that they dropped. And so what's happening now is that Lunar is putting in a whole bunch of like, uh, stipulations for people to participate they came out this last week after the um, announcement was made that UCS stopped um distributing DC comics and they were like okay um you can only be a customer with us have an account with us if and they gave all these things and one of the uh one of the things was you had to have a brick and mortar which um i don't know if those of you listening are aware but there are a lot of people who sell comics online and online only and so um wow they are um, and i think it was one of three so one of them was 
You have to have a brick and mortar. Um, the other one was you have to, if you do sell online, it has to be an online store that basically uh, is offering other sale formats besides auctions. So um, that was kind of like a dig to eBay sellers. So, um, but there is a way for you to sell on eBay without using auctions. So it's still kind of iffy or kind of people are kind of like wondering, does that still count? We're not sure. Um, and the third thing, I don't remember now what the third thing was, um, brick and mortar, no auctions. I don't remember the third thing was, but the other thing was, or maybe this is the third thing and I'm remembering wrong. Um, stores had to order a minimum of $500 a month. So excuse me, $500 a month. So right now, um, those of you who are comic book readers and have an LCS that you, uh, frequent, you might have noticed that DC books are, um, during this right. whole transition, DC books were showing up late, not showing up at all, or there's just none that's making it to the wall. Well, there was a real like, um, like uprising in on the retail side of stuff when all this happened. And there were a lot of retailers who were very vocal about their anger of DC making this big move, especially during a pandemic and a lockdown where stores were closed. And, you know, we as retailers are trying to figure out how to uh, roll with the punches and make changes and curbside and blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, DC is forcing us to have to change and apply for a new account and learn new procedures and policies and all this. And a lot of retailers were like, I'm going to only order for pools. I'm going to only order for my subscribers. I'm not going to order any DC books um, for the wall. Basically like an F you to DC. Like this is, there's no... Um, facts here this is the real cheese man from me um that i'm thinking maybe dc got wind of that um our lunar got wind of that and um they are like okay you have to have a minimum of 500 dollars to try to prevent retailers from from like in, like implementing this backlash so who knows really what it is but um DC is making it very, very, very hard for retailers and um, by extension customers to get their, their books. So my plea to you as a customer is if you're a DC reader, please, please, please be vocal and communicative with your LCS, with your local comic shop and let them know what titles you want. Let them know what you are looking forward to, what you want on your pool. If you don't have a pool, do not assume you're going to walk into your shop and see a DC book on the new this week wall um, because it's just really difficult for, for us to, to, um, to get them right now. And to, all, I mean, for us, we were told when it first started that our books were going to come either Friday or Monday. Our books haven't been coming uh, until Tuesday afternoon which means that we had to do the pools Wednesday before we opened. And for anybody that knows anything about comic book shops, um, 
you might not know that, you know, getting your new books entails unpacking them, putting into the system, counting them up, placing them in people's pools. It's a process. And so to um, not have the opportunity to have those books uh, prior to the day that they're supposed to go on sale has been a hardship. So just really be communicative with your LCS. And there's just so much change and stuff going on. Uh, in the comic book industry, um, behind the scenes on the retailer side and on the the um, distribution side, it's just a lot of stuff going on. And I don't imagine it's going to be the last um, craziness that we hear. So um, that is my cheese for uh, <laughs> for uh, distribution and DC comics. And I mean, I think this is already like the third time we've talked about it because things keep changing. They do. And it's very obvious that DC doesn't know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) It definitely, even if they think they do or they actually do, it sure isn't coming across as if they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's definitely, there's like miscommunication. There's like, there's a lot of like frazzedness as well, Uh thinking that they can pull this off. And I don't think they fully dedicated a full staff to like really examining how distribution works. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I think they should have they should have hired like people who worked at uh, other publishing companies like for books and stuff like that to like really like understand how uh, how to try to be on that level of distribution is. So like I don't I don't think they really um, it, it seems it also seems so sudden. Yes. Uh, when it first came out. Yeah. Um. um during the pandemic and it's just it was like it, it was so sudden we didn't really have prior warning besides how all the books seem to be out of stock at diamond yeah um, um so it it was i'm honestly not surprised that uh midtown midtown yeah midtown. yeah midtown comics decided to pull back because they're an entity unto itself that's yep. why they were chosen yeah to be a distributor and the fact that they can pretty much say hey, you're not making enough money for us? Yeah. Like, how bad off is DC in terms of sales? Like, how much is Lunar making? Can Lunar even make, can eat, Lunar even, is Lunar going to, like, now you have all these shops on the East Coast ordering from you. Mm-hmm. Logistically, can Lunar distribute all the way over to them without? Yeah, I mean, issues? Diamond does not is not just one lo- physical location. They have multiple locations. Oh, they absolutely. Have, they have multiple locations yeah, and multiple make ways up of getting books. This this issue of having to distribute to a um, to a nation, uh, and they also distribute worldwide. But that's another issue. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. so I think so that um, I think that definitely, um, like I said, this isn't the last we're going to hear about issues and problems with distribution in DC Comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as it is, even though Diamond is a monopoly on distribution of comic books, like you said, nationally and worldwide, they also have a lot of issues with how they distribute their product. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for a monopoly who has like, you know, done this for many 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 years they're still having problems i mean what makes this dc transition seem like it's going to go smoothly it is not yeah i can't wait i can't wait till like the sealed records like get discovered like decades (laughs) from now and we find out what the real deal was because 
the reality is, is that there had to have been some sort of backroom closed door dealings that are happening or going on or things that we don't know about that are eventually going to come out that we're going to be like, oh, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. But as oh, yeah. event, we don't know. <laughs> I think yeah, we're getting and- hints of it. Uh, I think I almost it almost feels like DC is setting itself up to fail its physical print run for sure. So that they can go fully digital yeah and it's like not to dig on digital comics but uh there is this whole nostalgia aspect that makes comic books sell yeah and people like physical copies yeah and i think that that has also been cheesema that has been floating around that now that both dc and marvel are owned by like huge parent companies warner brothers and disney like those people those companies do not have their status in business um, for no reason. They have people running them who is, whose main purpose, main job, main goal is to look at the bottom line. And um, comics do not make money. Uh, comics do not make retailers money. Comics do not make publishers money. Comics do not make creators money. Um, and so I think that it has a lot to do with just big business cutting the excess fat. That's mm-hmm. it. Which is really sad because it's like, uh, I'm usually not one for like super nationalistic thoughts or anything like that, but comic books are so American. Yeah. That it's just, there. It, it's something unique about them. There's, yeah. there's a reason that they're imitated in other countries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And the Batman and Superman and Iron Man and all these are like iconic figures, not only in like American, uh, like social conscience and culture but also kind of they're kind of seen as symbols of the u.s as well absolutely uh, in other places Mm -hmm. uh and so it just feels like uh, again like the problem with corporations is that they're trying to make this into a mass digestible thing and right now the mass digestible thing is online but in doing that you're kind of losing something that it was unique and interesting exactly and uh, and full of full of passion because mm-hmm. a lot of these creators love these characters yeah. and it's just you're kind of losing the soul of what it is that made comics yeah i know uh even even now with like how they print them and stuff like that i we've had plenty of people come in complaining about how yes. they don't like the new print format how they preferred the old the older yeah. print comics and stuff like that there's something to be said about collectability that means that all all of a sudden all these comics are going to be super collectible because they're no longer going to be in print. Right. <laughs> uh, and if Marvel and DC decide to tap out and go fully digital, what does that mean for the independents? Right. Like, are they going to continue or are they going to follow in the footsteps of the big two? Because the big two kind of set up um, how comic books go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the whole the whole thing about independence was that they were kind of tired of the big two. Right. as well so will they continue will they continue in the path of dc or are they going to strike out on their own fully and comic books are all going to be independents now independent mm-hmm. stories independent uh like genres and stuff like that will it evolve into something else that is on the level of japanese manga i think that would be interesting yeah and i think that might be that if that is the direction that it went i think that might be for the best mm-hmm. uh D- Marvel and DC decide to go fully digital 
the thing about that is that what suffers is retailer shops, mom and pop right. shops, comic yeah. book stores. I don't think you can survive on just indie titles. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard, but you know, in talking about a lot of changes, the retailer ha- uh, is having is currently going through a lot of changes. They've been going through a lot of changes because the industry mm-hmm. has just been changing over the last couple of decades. And I think that there are a lot of retailers that are just like, you know what? New comics is just are not worth it for me. And we've been hearing, um, you know, when we go to conventions and stuff, we've been hearing um, a a story being told by retailers um, that uh, seems to be more common that they just cut ties with Diamond and they're just Mm -hmm. a back issue um, store. They're just a trade store. They don't do new issues. And so... um, people are finding that it can be done. Like it does make me sad. And Mm -hmm. I mean, but when, as a retailer and looking at the reader's habits, um, new issues are not selling the way that they used to. And I, I think that just readers habits are, um, moving more towards trades. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, if you just look at the, um, the culture of of young kids but not even young kids but the culture of internet users it's all um fast information short snippets of information something that you can just take in and move on and Mm -hmm. you want everything at once you don't want to have to wait month to month to get your story and so I think that that's where we're seeing a drop in readership in in weekly is they're not some are weekly not really much anymore but in um in a floppies in uh single issues um because people want the whole story and so I think that the industry is changing. I mean, uh, the readership, the consumerism is changing, but the industry is slow to figure out how to change with it. So yeah. Yeah. And adapt. And so I think that um, this is, I mean, this has been an issue since we started at Heidi Ho back in 2014. It's something that we've seen steadily grow. Um, Unfortunately, during COVID, we've seen retailers close their shops um uh on um social media they're sharing you know that they just couldn't stay um open anymore uh and it's just really going to become um an issue where um it really isn't worth it to dc and marvel or anything because the amount of local comic shops shops that even exist are going to be so small Mm -hmm. And that's crazy because most of these movies and TV shows like Stranger Things, the the one of the agents that propels the story or the characters is because they are fans of comic books. Yeah. Better than comic books. I mean, how is that going to change for kids in the future if they don't even really know what it's like to step into a comic book shop? Yeah. But it's so yeah. crazy. It's going to impact the whole myriad of level of 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 pop culture and um i i don't know and i'm also guilty of trade paperbacks i love my story all in one i do too (laughs) yeah it'd be different if they went to an all trade paperback format 
with like some digital versions and stuff like that. I mean, it works. The Kickstarter has launched many successful web comics that wanted a print yeah. uh, version of the books, and people are, are clamoring to support them to have a physical copy. There's something. It's again. It's the. It's the whole like. When the Kindle first came out, people were just all like, "Oh my God, this is the this is it. This is the end of print books. Yeah, like uh, like uh, print books are no longer going to be published. It's all going to be on the Kindle." But the Kindle didn't do like super astronomically well. well. Like it, no. it does okay. Yeah, people like print something physical, mm-hmm, something yeah. that they can hold. Shit, I'm guilty of it too. I yeah. like, I have, I keep buying new books. I shouldn't. I don't have the space. <laughs> Uh, I like uh, once I read a book I'm sometimes I reread it sometimes I don't and it goes into like freaking goodwill donation but I keep buying them because there's something about print books that I just really enjoy yeah uh, and that's the same of comic books but again it's that whole how do you adapt to this new consumerism because a book is a complete story comic books aren't right they're yeah. not and people get frustrated with that yeah or even if a book is like part of a series it's like at least this huge book that you have that you can read through and that you can enjoy uh and go back to without like wondering about collectability or yeah. even like um, um whether you'll get an incomplete story because you won't you have a complete story or at least a complete arc and comic books don't even offer that yeah i mean back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, like the the way that consumers consumed is so different than what they do now. I mean, back in the day, waiting a month, some little kid, that was their highlight of their freaking month because, oh my God, the comic or whatever. But I mean, you have kids who have access readily available to them 24 freaking seven for entertainment. And so... Um, And I think that's the other place where comics are completely failing is they are not, um, they're not replacing the, the readers that they're losing who die off, who are just old or what they, they, we do not have a lot of people who come in of kids who come in for the all ages section. We had to stop um carrying single issues of all ages books because they just were not selling and I mean Mm -hmm. we have a handful of kids who love reading and whose parents come in and will you know like I loved comics and you know I want my kids to love comics but we do not have in society right now that same like excitability that comics used to have to kids what back in the day uh, and so um, I think the industry is failing a lot on that on that um, front. I mean, even the freaking tobacco company has, you know, they they know that they got to get the kids hooked. And the comic industry is, is... And they've succeeded with e-cigarettes. Yeah, they they <laughs> they succeeded exceptionally. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, and the comic industry is. Um, just really failing on that front and um the movies and the tv shows you know we have non-readers who will be like but what about that what about this and i'm like yeah what about it you you watch the movies what comics have you read lately Mm -hmm. and they just look at me with a blank stare (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh and um just to follow in the clusterfuck of dc um you know that uh, hbo max is going to be showcasing a showcasing a bunch of uh dc shows and movies 
right now they are reportedly signing on Ben Affleck for more Batman in series for HBO Max. He's going to come back as Batman? Yes. Interesting. Yes. I, but how about uh, to Pattinson? Well, um, he COVID? <laughs> you know what? They haven't said anything about that. I know. They just announced that he was positive and then it was like he dropped off the face of the earth. Exactly. Do you think they're just halt production? I don't know. I don't know. But Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. is, uh, as we heard before in a previous cheesemate, he's coming back as Batman to introduce uh, The Flash in his standalone movie. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they signed on Ben Affleck to do more Batman stuff for the HBO Max stuff. Um, they they are saying that uh, that because um, Ben Affleck was having uh, some personal problems during the shoot of uh, Batman versus Superman that that's why he wasn't able to to be the Batman that he wanted to represent <laughs> on the big screen. What personal problems? Gambling addiction and <laughs> philandering? I I don't know. <laughs> Because I, I don't, don't really think that those have gone away. <laughs> They're saying that this representation in the Flash is going to be like eye-opening and mesmerizing, whatever. Like I need to see it to believe it. Yeah. Um. But Look, uh, yeah. I at this point, I have the same sentiments towards Batman, uh, like Bruce Wayne Batman, as I do to Peter Parker Spider-Man. How many fucking times are we going to have to see Batman's fucking parents <laughs> shot in the alley? <laughs> Before, like, I'm going to do it my goddamn self this time if they can just fucking move on. Yeah. No matter no matter the title, Batman's got to fucking be in it. I know. You know what? And it's crazy because who doesn't know that the Waynes get shot up in an alley? Why do we have to keep seeing it over and over again? Yeah. Ah, Why anyway. do we have to keep seeing Uncle Ben being shot? Why do I have to keep seeing Bruce Wayne's parents uh, also shot in an alley? <laughs> I know this already. And I think everybody does. Honestly, and like, I don't it's, see it's pop culture. Yeah, and I do not. Know. I don't see the same uh, scene in the animated movies. So if they moved mm-hmm. on, maybe the live action should move on as well. Uh, also, John Cena is getting his own Suicide Squad spinoff on HBO Max. I uh, swear, this HBO Max—they are just creating content and signing contracts all over the place. Mm-hmm. only to yeah. cancel it for the next season or whatever yeah yeah i think i think they're just i think they're just trying to like be like disney plus honestly i don't yeah i i think they're just like what do we do what do we do what do i announce and it's like shit after shit i mean i don't know i i don't know john cena is he a good actor i mean i've seen him in that movie with the dad the stepdad and anyway it, i mean he just I don't. I don't see him as a, as an actor more than a wrestler. But let let's see. Let's see what happens. He's he's actually going to be supposedly reprising his role as peacemaker. Um, he is going to, um, James Gunn is going to be the one writing all eight episodes, um, and they're expecting to have, um, uh, what is it called, uh, anti heroes like Marco Robbie on his show as a harley quinn and mm-hmm. pete pete davison as blackguard i don't know who blackguard is but i've never heard that character i don't know who that is either yeah so um Honestly. i don't know i don't know uh, it, i don't think there's a following for this 
uh, peacemaker character, but we'll see. I mean, I I will give anything a try. I mean, I'll, I'll I gave Lock and Key a try, and I was disappointed. <laughs> like I w- yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe how and and I read on the credits that um that the same writer was writing the the show the series on Netflix, and sure. it was just yes, it was just so it was not the same as the comic, and I was really disappointed. So. But anyway, that's well, I heard team. that it it pays off if you keep watching. So we'll see if I go back. But yeah, it was pretty painful the first couple of episodes. It was so slow. Yeah, and it, the the little changes were so big for me that I just I was like, why do you even call it locking key? You should just call it something <laughs> else. Like I was. Just, I mean, or you should have should have just slapped on inspired by locking key. <laughs> yeah, that would have been better. That would have been better. But yeah, uh, HBO Max is, uh, I guess they're churning it out. We'll, we'll see. Yep. We'll, it'll be mano a mano, HBO Max <laughs> and, uh, and Disney Plus. So we'll see what happens. But that has been my achievement. That has been Kristen's achievement. And it's like all about the drama. Yep. <laughs> all right, guys. It's now for the book review. And what are we reviewing today? Well, today we are reviewing Mary Shelley Presents by Chimera Press. Now, we've uh, done some books before by Chimera Press, and Chimera Press is an all-women publishing um, uh, or um, um, comic... Publishing company? Yeah, no, it's a publishing company. company. Yeah, it is an all-women publishing company from the editors to the writers to the the script writer, like, to everything. It's all women uh and mary shelley presents is actually really interesting and we chose it again because it's october uh halloween spooky spooky season uh but mary shelley presents uh is written by multiple award-winning and new york times best-selling author nancy holder and it introduces a new comic series from chimera press adapting short stories by victorian era women horror writers Celebrating the 200th anniversary of the publication of her novel, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley introduces us to the horror stories written by her contemporaries. As she lays in our first issue, uh, that night I dreamed of the creature pieced together from corpses revived and unloved. His tragedy was granted, has granted me immortality. Other women writers of my time have not been as lucky. Famous once, their ghostly stories now gather dust. So. Now, I think that the premise of this sto- of this book of this, it's an anthology kind of is awesome. Basically, Mary Shelley has, quote unquote, come back from the dead to curate a book full of other contemporary contemporaries to her um, women writers who wrote horror stories back in the Victorian era, who had, who some had varying high degrees of notoriety um, and others not so much, but, um, and it curated this book full of their stories. I thought that that was amazing because not many of these women's names have, have, I mean, I, I don't even think any of them were familiar to me. I'm not a English major or, you know, mm-hmm. a, any kind of um, uh, major that had me r- reading any of these kinds of stories. But um, everyone knows Mary Shelley. Everyone knows she wrote Frankenstein. And so I just thought that this 
this idea that Chimera Press put it together and published it, they put it together in single issues and then they put it together in this um, in this uh, trade paperback was just amazing. And I, I want more. I'd love to discover more women writers back from that, that era and especially horror. I mean, because mm-hmm. I feel like horror is a genre that is not um, something that you would expect, especially women from that era to be involved in. So, mm-hmm. and they're pretty darn good at it. I, um, when you gave me the book, Kristen, I was like, I was reluctant to start reading it as I am always, but this one more so, (laughs) this one more so I actually washed the dishes, made myself breakfast, and I think put a load of laundry in before I started reading it. And this is why, (laughs) because it looks so thick. Oh, yes. Yes, and and, and so finally, when I said, you know, I got to do this because we're going to record tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh-huh. like, <laughs> so I cracked I know. I'm like counting on Jen's fast reading skills for these podcast yeah. uh, episodes, guys. But um, <laughs> I finally opened it. And when I did, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. And the reason it's so thick is because it has the prose contest behind the story so there's mm-hmm. the there's the comic version of it uh with the panels and the drawings and everything and then there's the prose version right behind each of the stories so um for the sake of time i skipped the prose part so i just read the comic stuff but the art is amazing it is and even the covers for each uh individual mm-hmm. issue um they are done in an art deco style that i totally loved and mm-hmm. reading on all, all these stories, they were so, they were gifted writers. I was they like, mm-hmm. I could, I did not put it down. I only put it down to get more water to drink or go to the restroom break. But it was just, per, it was a perfect setting. Like I sat uh, beside my bed next to my window. There was a nice breeze coming in and it was cloudy. So there was a little bit of cloudiness going around. And then I put some classical music on and it was just, it was a moment that I will not forget because these stories <laughs> were so good and the art just went really well with them. I mean, uh, like I, like Kristen said, I want more. I want more of these stories. I want to learn more about more of these writers. And uh, I just, it, it was so good. Like I highly recommend this book for anybody who is a fan of horror. Uh, it's just so good. It's, it's delicious. <laughs> it is. Um, so I am an English major, comparative lit major. Uh, And I also had not heard of many of any of these women besides, you know, Mary Shelley, because she's so, I think this is particularly would have been like a women's studies, uh, women's studies class, Mm -hmm. definitely. But I was not familiar with any of them uh, besides Mary Shelley. Um, The, a lot of them were super well-known. Another thing is that uh, because they were so unknown, a lot of their works are public domain now. Uh, oh. And uh, the thing with public domain sometimes is that, of course, the really popular ones are well known, but the unknown ones usually get locked up in like a, in the Library of Congress only, or like uh, via schools or universities are the only ones who hold like even like print copies of this stuff, or even like uh, they haven't they just haven't archived it yet and stuff like that so it's they're they're lost 
but not really. You right, just have to yeah. Work for them. Um, um, and I, what I really liked about this one is that they, of course, they adapted the stories into a comic book format, but they also printed the actual story itself and how it was originally written as yeah. well. Some of them were written as plays, some of them were written as like actual short stories and stuff like that. Uh, and what I also liked about it was that it all they all had like little intros yes in quotes of how they found the story yeah or or, um uh, why they decided to go with that story and um uh, and and publish it so i definitely i would 100 be interested in reading more of it i want a volume two three four however many it takes so that we know these women who were writing this Mm -hmm. uh a very common thing is that most people know the Bronte sisters, Mary Shelley, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, um, um, basically all these like romantic and transcendentalist era poets, and usually it's a um, um, a claim to the men. But novels, when it was they were first done in around the eighteen hundreds, uh, around late eighteen hundred mid to late eighteen hundreds, novels were mostly written by women. Uh, Penny dreadful Penny dreadfuls were mostly written by women, uh, and it actually was kind of it wasn't seen as super professional. What was professional was printed stories in newspapers or journals and stuff mm-hmm. like that, where mm-hmm. the book, um, um, the stories were told in parts in series. Right. Uh, and that was seen as the professional, like in vogue men's only work. And the novel was not mm-hmm. it, novel was seen as women's work and stuff like that. Wow. It wasn't until, it wasn't until like the Bronte sisters and a lot of these other women started making money from it that they were like, that man, oh, we got to get in. in on this. Yep. We got to get in on this. We got to get um, in and we got to make it look like it was our idea. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just one of those curiosities of history that a lot of people now, of course, professional writing and novel writing is once again, mostly male dominated. But yeah. in the beginning, it was not interesting was a lot of women were writing and um, um and of course like i said like when you call something a penny dreadful it was it was a cheap book that was usually focused on some like girl or whatever but it was seen as like an insult like you know like like mass market like the like harlequin novels are now uh like uh they're not they're not professional or stuff like that but how time has change that and because of that change i think that's why we don't know about all these women because in a way they were intentionally mm. left out by academia oh, because uh-huh. you know that's just how it is yeah uh, and now of course there's a change to that and this is this is one of those changes that you can see i really appreciate chimera press and what they're doing and have done for this because a lot of these women writers that i'm reading like i didn't even know about yeah and i'm like and i kind of pride myself on knowing about a bunch of stuff about 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 a bunch of old english shit Um, (laughs) um, but it's like uh i really enjoyed it i enjoyed reading the stories i enjoyed reading i did read the prose and (laughs) i read the prose like i'm not gonna lie i read the first one and then after that i was like oh no this is too much (laughs) i I read the prose uh i actually i read the prose first and then i sped read through the comic section of it oh interesting Uh, the art was really really good yeah Uh, i really enjoyed it It, like it like sarah said it was in an art deco style but it was also very modern for an adaptation of very old victorian era um uh, 
works. And so I, but they, it was beautifully done. It was beautifully told and it was beautifully uh, illustrated. Uh, I really enjoyed the, I enjoyed these stories too, because a lot of them are kind of tame by today's yeah. standards. Yeah. Uh, but you can definitely see the workings of modern horror in them. Definitely. Uh, ghost yeah. stories and stuff like that. Tales of vengeance, tales of of woe and shit like that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's you like like i said you can you can see where uh the beginnings of modern horror came from and i i find that fascinating same thing as how uh if, when you read the original frankenstein initially it's it's a little boring yeah uh, but it's special in that this is the birth of science fiction mm-hmm. as we know it, it was horror sci-fi but it was the first of its kind that we know of or that we have access to. Um, um, this was this was how Mary Shelley, this is a genre that Mary Shelley created. And here is another genre that is often not very seen as very like, like women oriented horror. Yeah. And even in the professional atmosphere, horror isn't seen professionally. There's a reason. A yeah, horror- you're right. A horror movie has never been nominated for the Oscars uh-huh. or for any other prestigious award. Horror isn't seen as something. Horror is usually equated to gore, but that's not exactly right. the case. Yeah. And none of these stories are gory, but they are creepy, or at least like you can see like the horror aspect of it as well, and how it would have horrified Victorian sensibilities. So I just I really enjoyed that uh, that aspect of it. Yeah, most definitely. That uh, I think that was a story. The the story number three, the case of uh, what was his name, Alistair Strick. Alistair Maynor or something like that. Yes, uh, the case of Sir Alistair Maynor. Um, I could definitely see in that story how it it uh, visually or even while you're reading the story, it, it's taking you a different direction with the sleepwalking. Oh, uh-huh. but then it brings oh, yeah. it back. Then it brings it back, uh, back around. So I definitely appreciate that because it's, um, you know, it's it's a, it, it it adds to the complexity of the story. So um, definitely, these writers were completely gift, gifted, and you're absolutely right. People still don't see horror as award winning or groundbreaking. It's it's you know this gore or this like grindhouse kind of feel, um, but I actually the first type of movies out there that I fell in love with were horror stories. Um, mm. So this this is just something that you know I am familiar with. So I I really loved it, and the fact that these are women writers and it's in a comic book format, I'm I'm all about that. So I, I really 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 loved it. I just picture them like their ghostly apparitional beings, like seeing this book made of their works and like getting, you know, even though some of them it says were, you know, as famous as their male counterparts, like they lost their, um, like over time, their importance. Um, and so I just love that Chimera Press is giving these women their due and introducing them to a whole new generation of uh, 
not just readers, but of also comic readers, uh, graphic novel uh, readers. Mm -hmm. I love that they took these stories that they found and um, made them into comics. So I, I do. I hope that they continue to make more. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, we don't want to give away too much of the stories. Uh, I don't know how many is it, four or five stories in the trade paperback. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all different and they're all, like we said, spooky or have a hint of mystery and, you know, kind of scary in, in some ways. Um, it sort of feels like when you read Creepshow where it has different stories in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so there's that kind of element of several stories into one trade paperback and um, I really love how they have Mary Shelley and uh, her monster. Her monster, yeah. Do, yeah. do a little intro to the writer, um, and uh, and they have this conversation together, and I think it's it's really awesome. I I really really enjoyed that. Uh, uh, so uh, are we ready to rate it? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm gonna give it the whole panaderia. I loved it. I love the artwork, the colors. The golds, the you know the Art Deco style and the covers, um, the little introduction of the writers that we obviously did not know of, so we get a kind of a sense of where they were coming from, and then the story itself, and also they're in as uh, Jen pointed out, either in play format, novel format, or short story. We get that what well, we get a huge amount of content in one trade paperback, and I love that. So I'm gonna give it the whole panaderia. This is Kristen, and I am going to follow suit and give it the whole panaderia. I mean, when you think about the years, the not even just decades, the centuries that have gone by since these women have been writing and making up these stories, it's fascinating to me. And uh, the fact that we have access to their works now, I just love, again, I, I am so thankful to Chimera Press for producing this book and putting it out there. Um, so I also give it the whole panaderia. Uh, I concur. I just for historical context of in itself as well mm -hmm. i think this is amazing and i think it's a great way of modernizing uh old stories to like uh not only just a younger generation but a new generation as well and now you have this this thing that exists and that you can recommend to people instead of saying like hey you're gonna have to go to the school's archives and <laughs> one, ask permission to see if you can even look at these works uh or two like go digging somewhere i think it's it's here's the thing about comic books is that they're so easily accessible and yeah. uh and that's that's something that's in their favor because now these are once again easily accessible as they were probably in their heyday mm -hmm. so i'm gonna give it uh the whole panaderia as well and if you want to get your own copy, uh, Chimera Press has the single issues as well as the graphic novel available on their website. And that's Chimera, K-Y-M-E-R-A Press, P-R-E-S-S, all together, ChimeraPress.com. That is amazing. Um, I wanted to ask, guys, uh, which story was the one uh, where they had uh, the writings of the author uh, at the New York Library? Oh, I don't remember. But um, I mean, when, when that happens, does that mean that they're not accessible to the public? It's just a question I had. Um, if they're, it depends because sometimes some of the books, yeah, they keep, even though they're in the library, they're not accessible because they're keeping them for historical purposes. Um, uh, 
um, uh, or again, they haven't archived it uh, as of yet. Yeah, I think uh, probably if they're one, if they're archived, then you probably would have access to like the digital. But mm-hmm. for probably uh, making sure that they don't fall apart in your hands, they don't let just the general public come in and and see them all the time or touch them or check them out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, that because makes sense. What I'm assuming about this is that these have been um out of print yeah they're, the books and when they made them they're out of print so the the new york the new york library has the original books and they're like oh no you nobody ain't touching these we're keeping these for historical historical purposes and that's what that's what happens a lot a lot of libraries and colleges and universities have these uh prints uh print books but they don't let anybody access them because they're fragile uh okay. and i think that's a that's what a lot of these um um are right now unless they've been adapted or they've been reprinted in some format or they have been archived i'm guessing the ones that were in the new york times were probably archived and they were able to access them yeah because that was one of the things i thought since we have so many access to digital digital scanning uh you know even before we had microchip micro microfiche microfiche (laughs) microchip microfiche so I, I was wondering why uh, why things would be like delayed in archiving, but uh, I guess it takes a lot of like manpower and yeah. authorizations and so forth to get these archived and then possibly in a digital format. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was one question I had, guys. But yes, the Hoponaria, <laughs> I agree. I can't wait to, uh, to have Chimera Press maybe make more of these trade paperbacks and more of these stories um, under this Mary Shelley Presents title. Um, I, I, for one, may on Monday go and review this book on their website just to get, cheer them on to actually yeah. create more content of this, of, this, um, of this type for the readers out there and for us. Uh, so that has been our book rating. Thanks, guys. And now it's time for On My Radar. And Kristen, what is on your radar? So uh, On My Radar is a graphic novel, um, YA graphic novel by Oni Press called My Riot. And it is um, a book about um, 1991. Val, a teenager from a conservative family, has grown up dreaming of becoming a ballerina. But recently something has changed. She's begun feeling pressure to conform to a specific idea of beauty, body type, and a personality that just doesn't fit. Val meets Kate, a smart, witty girl that doesn't take any crap off anyone. Uh, Oh, not Kate, Kat. Kat introduces Val to punk rock. Along with Rudy, another new friend, the three form an all-girl punk band that they ironically name the Proper Ladies. Soon, Val and her friends find themselves caught up in a movement with other girls also starting bands, also finding their voices. Collectively, these riot girls discover that their songs ring out loud and powerful. And for Val, there's no going back. So um, that's my riot. It is a um, trade paperback. It was um, out this last uh, Wednesday, October 21st, and it is published by Oni Press. So if you are interested, um, definitely contact your LCS or um, go to Oni Press uh, website and check it out. That is so cool. Um, you know, I recently have been paying attention to movies and how 
young ladies are portrayed in the movies and what they're taught in order to become young ladies. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed was a recurring issue is if they don't act like they're told to act, then immediately they fall under that they're not pretty enough or not proper enough or they're not acting ladylike. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that has been weighing heavy on my mind. So I, for one, am excited about this, uh, My Riot. It sounds right. great. I'm, I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, I know, Jen, you had it on my radar as well. Oh, yes. Uh, because it's spooky season, I've been, Ooh. I watched the, the Haunting of Hill House, and now I'm watching <laughs> The Haunting of Bly Manor, and uh, they're really good. They're yes. really, really good. Bly Manor is, definitely has a slower start than uh, Haunting of Hill House. Uh, but I've really enjoyed the story for it so far and kind of like the mystery and the intrigue and the kind of the they're really setting up the creepiness factor right now, but there hasn't been anything like super like ghost inspired like or or um, um like really horrifying yet. But there's something to be said about feeling creeped out. Uh so I, I think they manage well with that. Uh so I highly, highly recommend and you know, even here's the thing about them is that they're not really gruesome. They're not gory and a lot i think a lot of people equate horror with gore when that's just not the case gore can be horror but i don't think all um uh, all horror is gore uh so it's um uh, there's certainly of course an appeal to like gory stuff and like being like unnecessary but uh and there is like some mildly gory scenes in later on in uh haunting of hill house but overall they weren't they they weren't like um, um i guess they weren't gory but there's definitely a lot of emotional horror uh oh, yeah. involved in there and there's a lot of feelings of like there's family drama and yeah. um, uh, and like of course ghosts and stuff like that but this feels like this mo- haunting of hill house and haunting of bio manor i think all very much are just here's some family drama and ghosts <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yes. And like people but people just hear ghosts and then later the family drama slaps them in the face and they're like, "Oh, now I'm really sad. I'm horrified, <laughs> but I'm also sad." Uh and I think I think it's a great medium. So I've really been enjoying them and I highly highly recommend them to people. But uh I did start watching Haunting of Hill House at midnight and at 3 a.m. I really wanted to use the bathroom and this happened to you too, Kristen, because I know you told me. And I like and I remember you telling me too as I was on my bed like i'm not gonna get out of i really need to use the bathroom <laughs> but i'm not going to step foot off of this bed because yeah. i was like i was fully expecting for something that's come out of from underneath uh-huh. and just snatch at my legs in the end i just grabbed my cat that was sleeping next to me and booked it <laughs> this is real this is what i did i was like i i had psyched myself out so much that i just grabbed my cat and i was just all like defend me uh, <laughs> <laughs> And ran to the bathroom. Of course, nothing <laughs> happened. It's, it's not real. It's uh, <laughs> not real. But I like. I there's something to be said about of your own imagination, right? It's yeah, really creeping you out. Yeah. So well, I I highly recommend them. I think it's really good and it's perfect for the season. Definitely. Yeah, and what I like about this is you have a whole series, so it could carry you on throughout the month of October if you if you if mm-hmm. you can if you can mm-hmm. pause between episodes. Because sometimes my my main issue with October is I want to be all spooky movie, horror movie, gore, whatever. But sometimes I don't want to watch The Hills of Eyes a third time. Or I don't want to <laughs> see 
I don't want to see The Bride of Chucky ever. You know, like stuff like that. Oh my God, that movie is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I never watched the first Chucky. I watched The Bride of Chucky as a kid. Yeah. And like, of course, like a doll that kills and stuff like that it creeped me out as a kid. And I was like scared of dolls forevermore after that. But I went back when I was like a teenager and I watched it. It's so funny. Like it's hilarious. It's so ridiculous. I couldn't take Chucky seriously anymore, and I lost all my fear of Chucky. (laughs) Like as as a teenager, like Uh I was just like, oh my god, like it was just it was ridiculous. And that's a lot of old horror movies and stuff like that. Now, if you like that creeped you out as a kid or whatever, that you probably shouldn't have watched. But maybe is because you were a kid, you could appreciate the horror of it at the time. And then Mm -hmm. as an adult, you look back on it, and I was just like, this is. I know. I mean, both Eddie and I are like, it's a freaking like two foot doll. Like, I don't understand what the issue is here. (laughs) Just kick it. Yeah, just kick it. (laughs) I know you're so right. And I actually just finished watching uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor. And I really, really love the narration aspect of this series. Uh, it doesn't happen throughout every single episode, but when it does, it really helps propel the story. And this series, I just finished it. And when I finished it, I watched the first episode again, because there's some uh, things uh-huh. in the first episode that aren't clear to me until I finished the series. And then I went back and just did the first episode. And after that, it just, it all made sense. Not not that mm-hmm. I'm not not that any everything didn't wrap up in the last episode but there are certain questions that i had at the beginning that were answered at the end that i wanted to revisit so i recommend you do that i loved it um i was also creeped out uh but uh i went through the to the restroom repeatedly throughout watching it while putting on the flashlight on my phone because (laughs) Because it was just a little bit too much. But yeah, no, this is awesome. I I really love what's on your radar. And now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, you have some Juntos y Fuertes for us. I do. Um, I have something called graphic medicine. Um, there's a website called graphicmedicine.org, and I believe there's also um, our organization, Graphic Medicine. And it's basically, um, graphic medicine is basically a site that um, helps to delineate the role that comics can play in the study and delivery of healthcare. Um, Whoa, and what? I find this so freaking fascinating. Um, So graphic medicine is the use of comics in medical education and patient care. Um, It was created by Dr. Ian Williams, who wrote his MA dissertation on comics uh, as a resource for healthcare professionals. Um, And so he, his goal here is really to just reiterate that comics are not just for kids and that over the past decade, this medium has really begun to receive recognition and acclaim from literary critics, academics, and um, broadsheet reviewers. And that um, uh, there is a lot of different ways that you can use uh, comics and graphic novels when um, when 
providing healthcare, whether it's, you know, uh, a, a kid in the, in the hospital with a broken leg, um, or, you know, even, um, psych psychology therapy issues. So, um, it says, uh, Thanks in part to um, the medical humanities movement, many medical schools now have tutors um, with who are suggesting that students read classic literature or modern novels to gain insight into the human condition. And so um, doctor, uh, this doctor says that he has no reason to um, believe that graphic novels cannot also be part of that to uh, part of those tools that are used by um, healthcare professionals. So um, let's see. Um, there is on this website a. I'm trying to look for the actual menu here. Um, they have. Uh, graphic novel recommendations, they have comic book recommendations, they have manga, they have web comics, there's picture books, and they're kind of divided into categories. And so um, they also have a podcast and a blog. And one of the, uh, the, the way that it became um, uh, on my radar, um, that I wanted to talk about it for Juntos y Fuertes is that, um, Dr. Teresa Rojas did a, um, a workshop for them, uh, collaborated with them and did a workshop called Drawing Together, um, where they all got together and it was basically like a therapeutic, all like working through, uh, issues and problems while you are doing art therapy. And so, um, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was amazing. I mean, I know that I have been emotionally affected by many, many comics that I've read, and I can 100% see the validity in using them in the healthcare, um, in, in a healthcare professional way. So um, the website, again, is called graphicmedicine.org. And I highly recommend that if you're in any of these um, uh, fields to really look at using uh, the graphic novel and the the um, illustrated story as um, a tool for your work. Absolutely. I agree. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but if you guys saw Glass, uh, that M. Night Shyamalan movie, mm -hmm. one of the things mm -hmm. <clears throat> the mother used to um, help her son who was, uh, his bones were really brittle like Glass, yeah. was oh, yeah. uh, to, get him, to get him out of the apartment was to put a comic book on a bench in a park. And if he wanted to read it, he had to actually get out of mm -hmm. get out of his apartment, walk down and get the comic book. And I thought that was a a, a really great way to illustrate um, how you can help your child without coddling him. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think I think this is a great thing. I I can't wait to go on the website. It's graphicmedicine.org. Thanks, Kristen, for that. All right, guys, it's time for saludos. Oh, yes. I was like, I don't know. Who are we? <laughs> um, so I just barely heard of this um, podcast and that I thought was super cool to talk about because they're fairly new. And um, the idea of the podcast was really interesting to me. <laughs> So um, the podcast itself is called the ex-wife podcast. Now that's not ex-wife. That is just ex slash wife 
podcast. And so um, this basically is a podcast where um, it is a married couple and they are together doing this podcast where he, um, it says, welcome, we're Justin and Alicia, two nerds in love who decided to start a podcast together. Join Alicia as she dives into her first X-Men comic. So this is basically... Um, they're both already nerds, but it doesn't seem like maybe she is that much of a comic reader. And so this podcast is specifically about the husband um, basically introducing the wife to X-Men and them delving into the stories, delving into the origin and just moving through uh, the stories. And so I thought that was actually a really awesome idea and a really cute way for a couple to appreciate their nerddom and fandom and they're fairly new there's only about three episodes up but um i like really think that it is a like a very cool and unique idea so um it says new episodes are posted on sundays and you can find them on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify podbean stitcher and more that is super cool. Um, that sounds super funny. <laughs> are they starting all the way, all the way back? I'm not sure if they're starting all the way back because they actually were talking about Krakatoa um, in one of the most recent ones that I was looking at, and that is mm-hmm. um, that is Dawn of X and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the storyline that happened or that actually um, began when Hickman came back um, to the X-Men. So it, and it was actually very popular. So I think they might just be jumping around. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds really interesting because oh, I would definitely like to revisit the X-Men, but there's so much X-Men. There's so much. Okay, so there's behind so me, <laughs> listeners cannot see, but I have multiple essential X-Men. And I started at number, and I told Eddie, because I love the X-Men. I loved the, the cartoon back in the, uh, the 80s. And the 80s, I... Yeah, well, I watched it in the 80s, but <laughs> but I'm sure it went through the, the 90s. I used to watch it on TV with my brother before we were going to school. <laughs> um, but he, uh, not he, but um, so I loved that X-Men that introduced me to X-Men. And I was a huge Gambit fan. I was a huge Wolverine fan. And I wanted to learn more about the X-Men. And so I told Eddie, I'm going to go and I'm going to start from number one. And I read the first one through 10 of uh, the original first appearance, everything. And then when I started actually doing research into how many of these freaking books there were, and that was just the main series, not to mention the all the side series, all the individual characters, all I mean, oh, my gosh. And I mean, Jen, you know, just the old X-Men wall used to be an entire bookshelf from top to bottom. Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) I am so despondent over that wall and just, oh, my God, how many titles there were. And it's very, um, it's very confusing. It's very overwhelming. It's very intimidating. And so the fact that they're doing this and, and, you know, she's, it makes me want to go back and listen too, because maybe it'll help me to get back into it because I, I, I stopped. I was like, I have no idea where to go from here. Yeah. Ultimate X-Men, Apocalypse, Uncanny, X-Force. Oh, don't forget the extreme well, Wolverine and um, what's extreme his name? X-Men. Yeah. Yes. Extreme X-Men were Wolverine. And what's the other dude's name? The um, oh, God. Oh, Wolverine man. And uh, 
He, <laughs> I Hercules. Hercules. Wolverine and Hercules. Yes, well, Wolverine and Hercules are gay lovers. Oh, mm-hmm. and in leather, like almost 99% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Look, DC has Batman and all the little Batlings. Marvel has X-Men. Oh, gosh. And they are such mm-hmm. a huge... Oh, my God. There's just so many characters. I mean... I, I entered X-Men when uh, there was that triangle between Jean Grey, Scott Summers, and Wolverine, and Psylocke, and I uh, just like, oh my god. And I think Jean Grey wasn't even the real Jean Grey. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway. You, yeah, just, I, you just explained yep. like 90% of the X-Men story. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. Jean Grey does some crazy shit. Cyclops <laughs> is immediately right after her, and right uh-huh. after him is fucking Wolverine. Yep. My God. <laughs> you know, so it's tired. funny that before you actually start reading the comics, just as an outlier, you're just kind of like experiencing it from afar, and you're kind of just a little bit aware of what's going on. You would have no freaking idea about how much interpersonal relationship drama superheroes have. Yeah. <laughs> it was straight out telenovela. It was yes. straight out telenovela. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, uh, Madeline Pryor came back from the dead, and uh, now her boyfriend's with someone else. And oh, Mystique is Rogue and Nightcrawler's mom. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. The X Men are messy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Messy with a capital M T M. They're they're messy. Like uh, I know what I know what story arc you were talking about, Sarah, because that shit is irritating. <laughs> So much like Jean Grey dies, but she comes back, and then but it's not really her. And then Cyclops is like sleeps with her, and then he was just like then Jean Grey comes back, and he's just like, oh my god, I didn't mean to sleep with her. I love you. I, I didn't blah, blah, mean blah, blah. To. <laughs> I just fell into her. You just, you just... <laughs> and then she's all like, no, fuck you. I'm going to Wolverine, and then Wolverine's like, hell yeah. But then she's like, wait, no, I really love S- Scott fucking summers uh <laughs> oh my god, god. wasn't it at one point wasn't Sabretooth actually found out to be logan's long lost brother or half brother or some shit yeah they're brothers that's oh, still canon i think that's still <laughs> thing okay anyway yeah, yeah um, uh, that, that wanda is- wanda and uh Quicksilver, Pietro are no longer Magneto's kids, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, they're what? still not his kids. Yeah, they did this during uh, Uncanny X-Men sometime around 2014, 2015. Yeah, oh. they, they made that not canon. Uh, because the, the real reason for that, and once again, you get big companies uh, interrupting, was so that they wouldn't be X-Men anymore. Right, yes. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because they didn't own the rights to X-Men at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now yeah. they do. Well, the Inhumans are just as messy. I mean, I was reading this story where Medusa and Black Bolt were lovers. I'm like, aren't they brother and sister? Yeah, they're related. <laughs> <laughs> they're related and they're in love. Yeah. I'm 
like, oh Whoa. my gosh. <laughs> I mean, wow. it, I don't know if you're not a comic book reader and you're listening to this podcast. I mean, welcome. I don't know why you'd be here, but <laughs> if you are a comic reader and you haven't read X Men, I mean, there is so much. <laughs> like craziness that's going on in the x-men like uh, it it you will always be entertained <laughs> oh absolutely. there's always something entertaining and this is the fact that this is the main storyline marvel 616 like, yeah. we're not even getting into ultimate alternate yeah is, which is supposed to be the even edgier more adult version of well it, the ultimate universe doesn't exist anymore marvel collapsed it um um but they were supposed to be the edgier version, and oh man, did they want to be fucking edgy? <laughs> I'm so tired, exhausted, just talking about it. The fucking Ultimates universe. Every day I scream when I remember what they did to Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in that universe. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> That brings us to the end of this episode, guys. I love that X-Men rant. That was awesome. Um, where can they find us, girls? As always, you can find us on Facebook at Comic Comadres and on Instagram at Comadres y Comics. You can find us on Twitter at Comic Comadres, where you can send us a DM as well. You can email us directly to Comadres y Comics at gmail.com. You could follow us on Snapchat, Comadres y Comics. Uh, where we usually post uh, I, um, on events that usually happen, but COVID, so right now we're just doing October. Um, also, don't forget to rate, review, so, and subscribe on your, fav- on your favorite streaming platform to our podcast, if you haven't already. Um, also, uh, we are, combinacycomics.com is still in the works, so if you click on that, it'll redirect you. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Also, guys, don't forget we have a YouTube channel, Comadres y Comics, where we do Las Platicas with creators uh, on the comic book industry. So be sure to subscribe, uh, like, and subscribe those on YouTube. We also have something else going on. Kristen, what do we have going on? Yes, so we've just shared with you all of our multiple uh, social media platforms. And if you um, uh, also want to listen to us, uh, you're listening to us now, um, you can listen to us on multiple platforms as well on Apple, on um, Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on Pandora. We are on most streaming platforms. And right now we are having a um, a raffle where if once you subscribe to us on any of those platforms, if you rate and or review our podcast, we will put you and your name into a raffle for a hardcover bilingual edition of Kinsa. And not only is it the major bilingual edition, which has tons of cool back matter, it's both in English and Spanish, it's so super awesome, but is also signed by the creators and contributors. So um, if uh, you like, I'm sorry, if you rate and or review after subscribing to our podcast, you will go into a drawing and we will draw that name on November 30th. All right, guys, that sounds amazing. Yes. All right, guys, this has been uh, episode 88. We have been your host. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. 
Bye. Bye.